0: Hey, uh, welcome to Season 11. Wanted to start off by thanking everybody for 2022. Uh, I had some amazing guests who were super inspirational, energizing, and helped me feel connected to the community. So thank you. I really appreciate that. This week's guest is Paul Fricke. I discovered Paul through his podcast and it was when I was asking John Paul Leon to be on the show a few years ago. And I saw, he had this conversation talking about Alex Toth and I was like, well, I like John Paul and I like Alex Toth. So I'll listen in. And it was a great conversation along with many other conversations Paul has had with his guests on a, uh, a Titanic personality uh, that is Alex Toth. So I, uh, Thought I'd ask him to be on the show so we could talk about Alex Toth, but not in the way he does on his show and connect Toth with the tree of uh, artistic creators in the comic book Pantheon. Talk about a bunch of different creators as well. And yeah, this is an interesting discussion about creativity and the longevity of influence. So this is me talking with Paul Freaky.
1: Attention, are the ones with the broadest pop culture appeal. Yeah, it's it's either a, a super high contrast black spotting kind of image, mm-hmm. or it's something that he did for cartoons. Yeah. Invariably, those are the most popular ones. So I get that, and I play to that sometimes. But I also want to make sure that, that people who are less uh, informed or or uh, experienced with his stuff, exposed to his stuff. See all the different things he did, and all the the, the other virtues uh, of his of his work. So,
0: I like to refer to those people as people who have lives. <laughs> 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 um,
1: There's no yeah. doubt that when I go uh, into Tove, um, almost every week in every one of my classes, uh, I know the students get tired of it. And some have told me, hey, you got to back off of that. Or when they learned that I was doing a show about it, like, of course he is. So um, <laughs> I, I get the, uh, uh, I know that, uh, that it's off the charts, but I also know that, um, I don't know, I doubt that I would have the uh, interest or incentive to, uh, or motivation that, uh, without that hook. Um, right. But But we'll see how it plays out.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I dig it. I think, you know, there are a small number of, um, comic book, you know, uh, people who you could do a focus show on for a lengthy period of time. And he is happens to be one of, maybe there's five people, maybe, you know, uh, you know,
1: Yeah. Even when I talk to people about starting, they were like, what are you going to do? Yeah, Even diehard Toad fans would say, well, you can't do an ongoing show about that. I'm like, and I just typed up, like the first guy I talked to about that, I typed up 40 topics, like in five, 10 minutes, yeah. send it to him. He's like, oh, I guess you can. <laughs>
0: oh, for sure. For sure. And I, I think because I, I think the, the, the duration of his career, um, is and not only this sort of longevity, but the variety of work that he did in his career is the kind of thing where people can go like there's so many angles there's so many angles you can have you could have the conversations you have with hundreds of artists who will all have relevant and salient discussions about their you know total influence on their work.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I tried, uh, with Alex Toth in depth, I tried to lay the predicate in the very first episode. uh, And I asked, why is Toth timeless? And the whole idea there was not only to give a retrospective of his work and all the different things he did, but also my journey with him and why I kept pulling that thread. Mm -hmm. And then also to kind of say, here's all the different ways he's great. And, (laughs) And, 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 and even if there are limitations with his body of work, given uh, you know the, the period he worked in and, and the quality of scripts and things like that, yeah. um, or that he he's not married to a single uh, character. I mean, you can say he's associated with Space Ghost and Zorro, but there's not a there's not a long standing, no. years long uh, thing with his work really. And, and Bravo for Adventure is limited as well. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, h- how people approach him or how you introduce them can be, can be kind of difficult. It has its uh, stumbles. So the best way really for me is to either show all the different ways or just show the work. It's like, sure. To me, if you just put it in front, I don't from the first time I saw the work, the first time I was aware of it, it really felt like there was just sparks going off in my head. I knew even as a kid, something was different about his work. Yeah. And that only grew and grew and grew as I, as I went and it still happens. I look at his work now and peace and it's like, boing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and I don't have that same re- I can appreciate other people's work mm-hmm. and I like a lot of other cartoonists, but nobody does it for me like him. Yeah. And, um, and it, 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 doesn't go away. So, and I'm, I'm dumbfounded when that, when I do show people that work or I run across somebody who says, I don't get it. I mean, right. I, I can kind of admire him, I guess, or I get it, but uh, I don't like this line. I don't like this. I'm like, what, what? I don't even get it. I don't understand.
0: I I mean, I remember having, I've, and I've heard it a few times in my, in my day, but you know, I've had people, who know, like, they're like, I don't know. I just don't get the Beatles. And I'm like, well, then like you kind of missed the whole point of rock and roll. Like it, it, it just doesn't like make sense to me. Like you're saying, cool. I love this house but the foundation is really just kind of not worth my time. (laughs) And it's got, you know, and I think that like Toth in my, you know, in my unesteemed opinion, that is really, he is one of these people who laid a foundation for generations to build on, build upon. And I, okay. So, Oh man, there's some, there's so much to dig into there, but like, okay. So like, you said like when you first came, came across his work, like for, what was that for you when you first saw it? Cause I know what it was for me and it's, and I'm not saying super friends, even though I'm sure it was super friends.
1: Um, again, I grew up with his stuff without knowing it was him. Mm-hmm. So uh, on TV, that would be Herculoid space ghost um, and uh, space angel. And even Clutch Cargo. I mean, he did limited work on that, but I I grew up watching reruns of that stuff. Yeah. And so it was around me. And then I started picking up comics and then he did, oh, you know, what was, there was another show called Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt. Sure, yeah, And I I recall doing uh, drawings as a a young teen, maybe, Mm -hmm. of, of that work. And I would pick up comics that he was doing covers of. Like, I think Marvel did some, um, uh, Hanna-Barbera, uh, comics. I can't remember the name but it. might've just been Hanna-Barbera com. I don't remember the title, but he did a cover of that or occasionally would do, he did a space ghost story in there. So I saw the work and mm-hmm. then I started noticing the name and I, I suppose then in the early eighties, his name started popping up probably in the late seventies. I saw his name in fanzines and okay. comics, uh, publications, so he would—he was pretty active in writing mm-hmm. pieces and and sending in art. Uh, so I just became uh, aware of him more and more in the early eighties. He did some work uh, with the Fox and other pieces, and I, and I started buying that stuff. At a certain point, I just started. At that point, I just started buying everything I could get right. my hands on. But that's how it started, and it just kind of grew from there. But I sure. knew him and i knew his work before i knew him
0: <laughs> where did now where did you grow up
1: chicago i was born in the okay. northwest side of chicago
0: okay so uh, you had so you i mean you were in a major metropolitan area so yeah. access was probably far greater for that than you know if you were in
1: like rural you know ohio like getting hands on comics yeah sure yeah for me it that was an evolution too because at first it was my brother my older brother would bring Comics into the house. Mm -hmm. And occasionally you'd get some from the the, the grocery store, mostly Archie Digest and Richie Rich comics and stuff (laughs) like that. And then, and then um, once the comic bug really started hitting uh, in my early teens, um, there was like a, a bookstore that carried comics. And I started going there and I realized like Harvey put out comics are available on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they would have these house ads. And then I knew when to go and started expanding. And And then one day my brothers and I, my dad took my brothers and I out to a, a canoe trip in our Budweiser canoe. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we, we stopped for lunch on an Island and my dad had bought the Chicago Tribune newspaper with him and he opened up the Sunday section and on the cover was a, um, uh, a, a photo of a guy named Joe Sarno in Chicago who ro- who ran a comic shop called the Comic Kingdom mm-hmm. and, or the nostalgia shop before that. And he's like, look at this. And then I've taken it in. I'm like, what, what? And that was the <laughs> next level. The next weekend he drove me to that shop. And I met Joe for the first time. Okay. And then it be, that became a weekly pilgrimage to go to that comic shop from there, I would see the fanzines and learn about conventions with Joe was also uh, instrumental in running um, the uh, starting the Chicago Comic-Con in Chicago. And then later, Joe uh, advertised in the back of Trollords number 1 when I self-published. And, uh, and then he became a friend and was at my wedding and all that stuff. So wow. it started. I mean, that To me, it just kind of expanded and expanded. Yeah, um, And th- it had to be a discovery like that. I mean, people now if they're into this stuff and I, I see this with a lot of my students at MCAD, they have a lot of access to a lot of people and it's all on the internet, making fine connections with people who are into web comics or a- any kind of yeah, sure. uh, thing they're into. But then it really was a step-by-step kind of <laughs> upping the game <laughs> to get oh, to the yeah. next level. Um, but yeah, but at least there were places for, for me to go to find out more about it and connect with more people. Yeah. Cause
0: I, like, I don't think I saw hide nor hair of like a fanzine until maybe like nineteen eighty two, eighty three. Mm-hmm. So, like up to that point, it was you know like the Seven Eleven and the in the you know in the newsstands, and then I uh, I did the, the I don't know how we found it, but like in in the town my father lived in, there was this. God, maybe he was he was a bookseller like a used bookseller yeah. he had like the second floor shop but he had this huge section of long boxes and i would go in there and i and and then he like had this like dealers like oh you know for every 10 comics you get i'll give you one percent off on the sale and i re- remember like after weeks and weeks or maybe months of going there i turn to my dad i'm like you know what if we bought ten thousand comics he would have to give them to for free you know like i did like this i did the math Mm -hmm. and he's like you're right and so we went back there like the next time and the place is gone (laughs) so like the guy but he had he he brought me to his back room where he had i I mean i'm not kidding paul he had like hundreds of long boxes like it was just one of these guys who had all the comics in Mm -hmm. 1980 you know one that nobody else had. And, but there were no, there were no specialty stores. So he didn't have the Avenue of just having a shop that sold comic books because who would buy them? Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had, I I heard uh, stories from um, uh, the the guy we brought on to be our Troll Lords editor, Brian Augustine, who passed Mm -hmm. earlier this year and Brian longtime friend. He told me that he knew Joe Sarno before I did. In the early to mid 70s, before Joe had a shop, Uh literally people who were into comics found out through word of mouth and then would go to Joe's basement. (laughs) He (laughs) ran the shop out of his basement because he was already collecting comics and teaching everybody how to bag the comics and and, and all that kind of stuff. He was one of the early guys who did that while other things were going off around, uh, going on in New York and California. Joe was also spearheading a lot of stuff, but that's how it started was like, Amazing. Oh, I can't run this out of my basement anymore. Um, I'm running then, out of the room. I need a better access point brick and mortar.
0: It's so funny because, you know, you said like, you know, how that sort of pathway of whatever you know, what the interest is and how you follow it and chase after this, the next thread and this sort of like interest. And, uh, but then, you know, you were saying how like, you, you know, younger people, everybody i should say just has access to everything at all times now with the internet but you wonder what the equivalent of that basement thing is that nobody knows and how like what what is that um i mean if you hang out on twitter long enough i think it'll be twitter eventually um <laughs> but, you know um yeah, it's just curious that like, I mean, I, I, because the thing is, is like we look at it from a perspective where we go like, well, there just isn't that anymore, but I'm like, you know what there is. We just don't know it. Like we don't know. And it's, it's kind of not for us. Um, mm-hmm. it'll happen. Like this conversation will happen. Yeah. In there are 40
1: years. Uh, there are still niches, even on the internet. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. There are little pockets and niches. And there's probably a forum that five people are in, in honor or, or, uh, whatever they call these. I'm sorry. I can't keep them all straight, but, yeah. um, uh, but a lot of it to me is about um, discovery and, and what you don't know. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade that journey for anything really. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then it's a matter of access. Now the access is there. So you can find those niches. Sure. And those little spots more quickly. I think something's lost. Yeah. No, no, but I, I I, I don't. I'm, I'm totally into information and tech. I'm, 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 I'm glad for it. It's much like the proliferation of, of uh, TV shows. I'm like people are like, there's nothing good on. There's too much available. I'm like, well, there's a lot available, but this is a lot better than the stuff I grew up on. Of course. I'm glad there's a lot of stuff available, and and uh, true for comics, true probably for all media.
0: Right. And, and listen, something is lost in the terms of something is lost in regards to your experience and my experience, but for someone who is 12 years old or whatever age, you know, they are 20 years old. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm just making numbers up, but nothing is lost for them because it is what it is. Hmm. Um, Like the band kiss might not be a thing now because (laughs) that whole mystery of who they were was massive. And that was what propelled them.
1: That's another thing. My older brother, Carl uh, introduced me to and seeing those covers with the the comic booky Oh yeah. Uh, Ken Kelly uh, covers or something. Destroyer. Yeah, my, and that was me. my first, that was my first rock concert was a kiss concert. <laughs>
0: Sweet. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good people in my book then. Um, yeah. It, it's, it, uh, it's, it's totally, I mean, but it's totally interesting. And and listen, you know, I mean, that it's so strange how that mystery and curiosity propelled my whole life. Like that was like the direction my life went is only due to that mystery of comic books. Like, who did this? What is this? How do I get more of it? Um
1: Yeah, like when, you know, and I think that carries on in a fashion, and you're right, for young people now. They don't think they're missing anything. I do no. tell these stories to students at MCAD uh, of, of what my journey was like, and then I ask them what their access point is. And most people now uh, coming in are reading web comics and manga. Hmm. That's most of it. And I'd say it's probably, at least at MCAD, the, 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 the folks who come into uh, MCAD, into the comics program, are about 20 to 30% male. So it's a complete flip on what I grew up with in regards to um, who was into comics. um, And, and, you know, certainly certainly different from the first uh, Comic-Con I attended. Um, And I think that's all for the good, but it does mean that their access point is different. So I try my best to keep on top of what um, younger people are into and how they uh, Mm -hmm. are coming into uh, the medium and different genres and also at least give a little history of how it was for me or what it was like a hundred years ago. And what is the evolution of, of the industry and, and the medium? Um, and, I find that all very interesting. Well, for many. It is, it's important. It's also, it's also interesting and
0: important. And, uh, and I'll give you, you know, so like when I was in, when I was in art college, um, the, like yeah, the historian Bob Stewart um, yeah. was my, was my teacher. Got it. and so bob would like laboriously talk about cartoon strips and stuff from the you know the 20s 30s and 40s and we would dutifully just kind of nod our heads and go uh huh uh huh you know um but i you know i can't thank him enough because the information that i got i i learned in that just like my art history classes were so valuable Thankfully, I retained some of it, so like I was able to go like, wait a minute, who is that dude who influenced Milton? Who took over Milton? Like that guy who drew Scorchy Smith. Like my mind, like I'm like, oh, I got to go look up that guy because I really liked his artwork, you know. And yeah, then I'm like, yeah, oh you yeah, Noel, got
1: a reference point, right?
0: Right. And I'm like, oh yeah, Noel Sickles, that dude was the best, you know. And it was one of those kind of you know, those introductions. On top of the fact that he brought people into the class to talk, so he brought Harvey Kurtzman in the talk Crazy. He, you know he brought Larry Hama into talk he brought mm-hmm. um, Kyle Baker so what a what a broad range of people coming into right. the class mm-hmm. but what they all imparted was this amazing experience and wisdom and, you know, and, and I, so I'm like, Oh, these people are the real thing. Um, no doubt. yeah. I mean, and, and listen, my teachers, like Gene Colin was my teacher, you know, That's Will great. Eisner was my teacher like right. like Joe Orlando. These people are all like, you know, amazing craftsmen and Kings.
1: Yeah. And I don't know how many people I've heard from, uh, peers and pros over the decades who said that Orlando gave them incredible advice, uh, yes. very early in their career, Where he mm-hmm. would just go, he would mark up their page, yep. you know, sometimes on a copy or whatever else, but just, uh, tell them about storytelling basics and he could do it quick. Cause he was editing or at, at DC, I think. Yeah. For a long time, right?
0: Yeah. So he was in charge of the special projects sort of department by the time, to- you know, by the time I, I got into the world and it, you know, into his world in the late eighties. But, um, yeah, I think hands down Joe was a class that I think I evolved the most in. And I think that's just due to his treating it like a business, which I really appreciated.
1: Um, yeah, students don't always appreciate that, but no,
0: uh... (laughs) no, no. Listen, like one of my longest friends avoided taking that class due solely to the fact that of that fact, he knew that it was, he would just tell you whether your work was sellable or not sellable. And that was it. Like you, everyone slapped their stuff up on the wall and he would walk down there and just say saleable, not saleable, saleable, not saleable. And it was like brutal, but it was exactly what you needed to hear. And then if you had the temerity to say, Okay, what's missing? Why that? Why didn't this make the mark? You know, so
1: when, he, when he's saying that, is he talking about saleable in terms of the the kind of work you were doing in regards to uh, genre and content, or was he, was he just talking about whether you were at the le- level or you were pro enough? Like if you were, at a high if you were market? pro,
0: if you were pro enough, if this okay. work, if you could, because one of the sort of confusing aspects to having these um, venerable gentlemen be your teachers is they all view the comic industry as if it was a comic industry of the late fifties and the early sixties where, okay, just grab your portfolio and head on up there and get work that it, it wasn't that way back, you know, back then it was still really relatively open door, but the, you know, gene, Colin thought like, well, you just, if you, if your work's looking good, go get some work. And it's like, like, they don't, they don't hire you that way anymore, Gene. But um, Joe's attitude was like, I'm, you know, if you listen to me and you work hard, you'll leave the class knowing you can do work that people will hire you for.
1: Yeah. I have a, I have a friend uh, who uh, has taught at NCAD and went to the Kubert school. And he told a story about somebody at Kubert school who when Joe Kubert was teaching there, yeah. um, who brought in a piece, uh, a page uh, or three pages, like three weeks late. And it was gorgeous. And they took a lot of time with it. And, and Joe looked at it and put a big red F on the top. Yeah. This was, if you were turning this into an editor, <laughs> everything's late. Everybody's late. Everybody's losing money. F. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks great. It's a yep. great page. Way yep. to go. But. Yeah. It ain't going to cut it. Not saleable, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I, and I, I and I get it like it, and it hurt, like it hurt when he would say that to, mm-hmm. to, but I'm also super competitive with myself. So I was like, I gotta, like, I gotta figure out how to not have him say boo to, to what I put up there. So, right. um, and he was clever. I mean, his, his whole, his whole thing, and you can steal this if you ever want to, is he, he's like, just go to a magazine or newspaper take one image and then your job is to draw what happens five seconds before and five seconds after. Oh, that's great. So it taught, it taught storytelling. It taught composition. It taught making a professional thing. Yeah. So just, but I guess the, the, the crux of the whole thing is carry on with the teaching of the history involved in the work because I, I think the value of it is uh long-term versus short-term.
1: I think so too. And I hope some of it sticks. I have heard from students who said they would roll their eyes or never thought that when I would talk about Toth or, or other artists, um, it just wasn't their thing or it seems very distant in the past. And then someone will come back around and go, Oh, it's sinking in or mm-hmm. I see what you were talking about now. Um, so I try to balance it and I'm hope, I hoped I'm not sure it's working or not, but the hope was to kind of, do the uh, Alex Hoth in depth show to kind of burn it out a little bit or have a, <laughs> an outlet for it. So yeah, I would sure. overdo it in class, but I, I, I'm not sure it's working.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, I mean, listen I think if I was teaching a comic book class, it would be very hard for me to not, um, you know, hammer away on, you know, the value of Michael golden, you know, to these, these poor people who would just be, you know, paying, participants of my obsession.
1: Uh, <laughs> it would be, uh, incessant. Yes. You wouldn't be able I, to help it.
0: It would be hard for me to, to avoid it. Um, so
1: golden's big for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because it, it was one of those things that I didn't realize how, how, how sort of influential his work was to me until I was like in art school. -hmm. And it was one of these things where, like, you know, it's like those moments of like in the movie where you, the character kind of freezes and then like plays back all the parts of like, oh my gosh, this is what this is, Um, and that sort of was the the event for me because, you know, the Micronauts was such an incredibly influential book when I was a kid, um, you know, high from star Wars, um, and star Trek, you know, I, this comic shows up and I'm fully, fully into toys. So I'm got toys and I've got a comic book. Like, you know, uh, uh, if only could have been better if somehow they were playing music like kiss, that would have been like the, the trifecta <laughs> and,
1: well, um, the kiss comic printed in real kiss blood
0: with real kiss blood. Yes. Um, And it was just one of those things where I'm like, oh, yeah, like that was the comic book that I sort of learned, like, if you show up here every month, you get to get the you get to get the continuation of the story. And that was that first year of the Micronauts. And then it just kind of carried on, like, luckily, just got my hand on Marvel fanfare one and two got my hand on, you know, I was buying comic books and I would go, Oh, this is really cool. I like the Avengers and I love annuals cause I get more comic book for my money. Oh, it happens to be like golden's annual, you know, for the Avengers. And it was just one thing after another. And I could connect all these dots and I'm in art school going like, well, duh, this is the guy who has been talking to me for the last, you know, 15 years.
1: Um, it clicked finally.
0: It's not even not even it's funny things i not even 15 years so it would have been like 10 years, right. Just 10 years. And uh but it clicked right in. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's the guy. And
1: <laughs> and, and I was he, was he was big for me too. Yeah, and probably predating for me, Micronauts, because I was he, his work started popping up in D at DC mm-hmm. in Batman family. Yep, and and, and he would do um demon stories and then different backups. And then he graduated to doing, uh, uh Batman stories yep. and, and then on and on. And I had, I, I was just a big fan. I couldn't believe what I was looking at it because it looks so different. It was idiosyncratic, sure. his style. Um, I don't know why, but in some fashion it reminds me of Richard Corbin's work as well. Interesting. How, how they, do, how he, early on in his work, and it's still yep. true in Micronauts. They distort faces in a similar way, even though on the surface their style is, I think their styles are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I made a, a connection with that, and and then I got my hands at one of those small Chicago cons on three pages from the the Man Bat stories he did, and regrettably I, I sold those. Okay. Um, some years later, I don't know why I got tired of it. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm, but, but those were instructive to me because what, as I was doing, um, you know, in the earliest years doing my own pages, um, and at that size, right. Learning, Mm -hmm. you know, what size to do it at and all that, um, I would have the golden pages next to me or at the board and study it. Like how thick are these lines and right. what is he doing here? And how is he using zipitone there? And what level of detail do you have to go? And, um, man, I wish I still had those, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was very informative for me at that time. Uh, and Micronauts was a, was a big, big deal in my head and, and with my, uh, comics pals. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, it's interesting because like, you know, I would have, I would naturally say I'm like this dyed, dyed in the wool superhero fan because it's just my childhood growing up with super friends, cartoons, Mego toys and all that stuff. But like the comic book, like if you had like, hey, here's your sack of comic books, kid, which ones can we take away and which ones you can you not live without? It would have been the Micronauts as a kid. I'm like, no, no, these are the ones I have to keep. And I think not only in part of the toys and in part of the storyline itself the artwork just sunk in and that was kind of the mark the mark for me and i totally dig the corbin sort of angle like and i think you probably aren't too far off because i think michael's interests lie far outside of comic books i i think you know he understood what kirby was and he dug to but comic books really aren't his jam so he was he was looking at different stuff
1: yeah, he. I've I've seen some interviews with him, and his perspective is seems very odd to me. For mm-hmm. someone who worked in comics for so long, um, that that he, I don't know, he he sometimes looks at it as a business too, and it seems yes. kind of like a perfunctory way of go, uh, attacking the work, or that's mm-hmm. a job I did, that kind of thing. But yeah. that's not how it felt on the page. The, I think the Corbin thing, uh, Gold, the cold, I'm sorry, Golden Corbin connection came to me because I would copy their work as a, mm-hmm. as a teen and i would just draw the faces and and i got it you know on one hand i was looking at how to draw the comics the marvel way and doing structure to the heads right a certain way and trying to draw a ramita or or a busema face and then i had these mongoloid kind of faces that were all kind of distorted the way they did it yeah and and, I, and that was really appealing to me. And in some fashion, I was trying to copy it because I liked how it looked. But it also, when I did it, looked really weird and funny. And I'm like, wait, why can't I get this to look right? Um, mm-hmm. But that's when I noticed that there uh, there was something similar to uh, to how they attack stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Golden, I also, though, as far as genres went, I mean, a little bit later, he went, he did the nom and and... And, and it also his work would pop up in um, in marble black and white uh, mm-hmm. books. Sure. Uh, or, or just in small books. So some of my favorite stuff of his, I think he adapted The Cask of Amontillado. Yeah. yeah. Of mine, that, I think he that heard, was
0: his first work. Was it really? I think that might have been his first work. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it stuck out to me even then. And then he also did... Um, I'm not sure what it was maybe in Marvel presents a black and white thing. He did a, a wash story about the, the Hindenburg, if I recall. Okay. And it's a, it's a beautiful looking story. He did Howard, the duck yep. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. So he was kind of all over the map and whatever he did, I, I was really into yeah. At some point I became less enamored with it. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so I can appreciate it and I still like some of what he does. Um, but it sounds like you're still into them the same way. Whereas I kind of veered into I don't know, I just I, I over the last few decades I've instead gone to people who do simplicity more.
0: Sure. And, and and I get and I get that. And I mean there's a there's a Michael Michael I think Michael has the ability to take very complex things and still make them very clear. It's very hard to do what he does by putting so much in there but you can still see everything. Um you whereas can sort
1: it out, even though there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's true. While I think what
0: I yeah and I think like I think if you could like go in it with a like an eraser so to speak you mm-hmm. could tothify his work do you see what I'm saying you could yeah. sort of you could reduce a lot like if you adjusted the contrast okay like I'm just going to blow out the white and and knock out the black and I, you could get closer to that toth idealism in my, you know that we all want because that 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 idealism of that clarity that that toth puts on the page you know, we're all striving for it for one degree or another, because we all know that the goal is to make something legible.
1: Uh, Uh, Yeah. And communicate it. And, and for clarity, the, sometimes golden in his uh, in sketches, he's done the last 15 or 20 years. I've collected them. I've got them in a folder and he will tothify his stuff every once in a while. There will be things where he is doing, he strips it down and there's less, mark making and all that stuff. He can think that way. He can put it down that way. Clearly,
0: clearly. And you know, and and like, let's just do a little crazy, little crazy, like, you know, obsessive talk right here about this, but he does all those things with Sharpies. Like this isn't like, it's not, he's not pulling out brush pens. He's not doing any of that stuff. It's a Sharpie.
1: That's what Golden's doing his sketches with.
0: Yes. Just, just to put that in context.
1: And that's, you know, that's not dissimilar from, uh from, from to- to right when he's doing the marker work
0: there we go ready this is the toth moment there you go oh the pen
1: <laughs> exactly right
0: yeah i mean dude like i the, the second i learned that this is what he used i bought <laughs> i bought boxes of them
1: you know i'm because like that's the magic if you have the pen then you can do what he does
0: well so i no, i i think <laughs> i was talking uh I was talking to someone. Maybe it was last week. Maybe I was talking with Billy Hines about this. But the thing is, is about this whole: oh, if I buy the tool, then I'll get, I'll be able to do what they can do. Yep. That's the false narrative that we tell each other right. ourselves. But the 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 magic that happens from that is when you plateau with whatever tool you're using, and you introduce a new tool into the into the equation, your mind. It has to evolve to adapt to get better at that tool that you just put in your hand. Right. So you do actually improve. It just may not yield the result that you thought it was going to. Right.
1: Do. Well, and it at least unlock something. So you have to approach the work in a different way. For sure. This is the kind of thing I do. I just taught a, a class, and I've taught it several times, called Materials and Techniques: Comics mm-hmm. Materials and Techniques. And I'm just trying to have the students do things from a variety of ways. We we do. Uh, assignments where we're just—it's brush inking over mm-hmm. good blue lines week after week, so you're getting the uh, um, uh, the technical aspect, the control over the yeah. brush. But then I do also—I have them draw each other observational drawings while people are talking to each other with a sharpie, as mm-hmm. thick a line as possible. So I'm trying to run the gamut from one side to another, and then we do a lot of things in between as well. Yeah, um, and I was a. I was a guy who grew up going, wait, how did they do this? What's the right way to do it? Crowquill was my thing. And then brush and line variation was my thing. That is not my thing anymore. I can do it, but now my thing is to uh, attack it uh, with more of a a less line variation. I'm more concerned about the texture of the line and what the line is, is, uh, where it's going rather than as J John Paul, the said to me, uh, what it's doing. And, right and, uh, and, and so there, there can be an evolution or you can bounce back and forth uh, between those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. That's the, uh, the, the, uh, the joke is it's people roll their eyes when you ask that, that thing, what do you, what kind of pen do you use? What kind of brush do you use? Mm-hmm. I think there is some value in it. When I ask that question, I'm not asking. Oh, cause I asked that of Jaime Hernandez once. And, and he, he told me, and I was just, ast- I was astounded that he got the kind of variation he's gotten with a G pen, which mm-hmm. I find very stiff. Right. And so that just gives me a different perspective of what is possible with a tool. Not like I'm going to get a G pen now right. and draw just like Jaime. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yep. Um, but I think a lot of pros, uh, uh, infer that meaning or motivation with that question. And maybe, uh, maybe people do mean that from time to time. I'm just trying to find out who does what with what and and why is it worthwhile? And what you learn is after you ask that question many times is everybody's using everything. Sure. There's all kinds of people and they're getting good work from a variety of tools. So
0: well, that's, I mean, that's the thing. We, all the tool I mean, it, I mean, like when I was, you know, drawing, you know, for, for my bread, like my tabletop had tons of tools around it. I, because it was just this endless, you know, thing of like, I just need this tool for this and this and that. And the other thing, um, I wanted to take a moment and say, thank you, um, for, um, getting the, um, conversation with JP down when you did,
1: um, thankful for that.
0: Yeah, I I was I was in you know contact with him and he was just you know he was not well enough to talk when uh when we were talking and uh he was really himself in the terms of like he was so apologetic for not being able to be up for the the talk and I'm like, dude, don't sweat that. Like he called me and we had a wonderful talk as friends, but I'm like I'm like, dude, what you know, and I'm just you know, I was just hopefully optimistic, you know, that, you know, that time would come and, uh, it was at least, you know, it's a sweet, you know, blessing to be able to sit and listen to his his impassioned discussion about his, one of his favorite subjects.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I was able to do that with him. When I was thinking of doing the Toth show, uh, and having guests on, he was my number one first guest that Mm -hmm. I wanted. Um, when, uh, I was working with, um, uh, the guy who does and did the, uh, website, uh, we were trying to rejuvenate that a little bit. And I asked JP to do a tribute. I asked a whole bunch of people to do these tribute pieces. And of course he worked weekend after weekend for (laughs) weeks to do the ultimate, uh, piece. Um, so when I asked him that, I knew he was going to, I already knew that he was in a toth, but then I really knew after I saw that piece, like how deep it went. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I had a feeling that if I asked him uh, to be a guest, he would, he would come on. Um, And, uh, and I had no idea when we were recording, like I knew some of the history of what he had gone through um, with uh, battling cancer, but I didn't know like what shape he was in Cause he was very upbeat <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, and, uh, no, he was. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pleased that, that, uh, that that got uh, done and I'm glad it's uh, recorded. And there was, uh, when he passed, there was another boost, right. To sure. people listening there, they found, uh, found that. And, um, that's there for posterity now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. And, and, and we're all, I think we're all better off for it. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I, so look, I, I've known him since, I guess the fall of 1990. Um, so cause he went to the same school as I did. So he was a freshman in the dorm when, when I was, when I was a senior. So that's when I first met him and he, it, it, he hadn't discovered Toth, um, to the degree that he had, you know, sort of, in, you know uh, absorbed him um, later on so but he was very much a you know Frank Miller fan he was very much uh, a Michelangelo fan at the t- at that time and you know even at an 18 year old level we were all like this kid is unbelievably good like to the point where you're wondering would pushing him out the window really finish him off you know like he was just too good <laughs> um but he was also just the nicest guy so um it was it was a joy to, to see his explosive entry into the business and how he really, you know, uh, spread out. And I, it's a, and I've said it a few times and, you know, and I'll keep saying it is that like it, and the, you and I exchanged the idea, like the thought, like how influential Alex Toth is, um, in comics, but like JP was influential in comics to his, peer group in school like the people yeah like they were like influenced by him which is not a very common thing that was the first sign of how great he was right Uh, so his um yeah i mean he he just just the best the best guy and uh you know can't can't be happy enough to have as much of his work around as possible so
1: yeah, I uh I've collected that over the years as well and mm-hmm. uh, spread the word as much as I can. I would like on top of the uh, Wintermen um, artist edition that's sitting here in the studio, I'd like someone to reissue the, it, the book huh? as well. It's so, right over my shoulder so people can can read it cuz that's not always an easy thing to find and it was his his favorite
0: with JP's legacy and I'm you know I hope you know, we get to see more things published in finer sort of quality just to, you know, show off his great skill sets.
1: I I hope so. I'd like to keep spreading the word. And then I bring, I show his work in in classes and, uh, and, and uh, extol the virtues all the time. Hey, I I wonder if we can go back to the Toth Golden thing really briefly. Yeah, sure. So I I had a thought (laughs) because I know that I know you like both Mm -hmm. and they're both masters and I guess my one distinction and difference I find is that for me, when I look at people who are influenced by Toth, I usually like their work or see what they got from it. And I like how they're applying it. Mm-hmm. Most people who are into Toth seem to understand, not always, but they seem to understand what it's about. Howard mm-hmm. Jake agree that people- I understand. like where this
0: is going. Okay.
1: But, but I feel like Golden's work can be and has been horribly misunderstood, mm-hmm. and it's led to a a uh, it's it's led to for the last three decades the type of work that I'm that does not appeal to me as much.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. So if you trace that stuff back, mm-hmm. the the image look and and a variety of things, it it does go back to Golden. Yes and and some people say that that goes further back to Adams. I'm not sure uh, if that's accurate or not, but because uh, uh, Adams can influence a bunch of different people. Yeah. But to me, Golden is a very particular type of guy, probably because of what you said. He's influenced by things outside of comics in some fashion, similar to uh, Mignola is influenced yeah. by things out of comics as well. And um, I, I remember being at a, at a, uh, a room after a, a con with Don Simpson, the Megaton man guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he went on a little rant one night about how artists uh, are influenced by others. And it's mis They're misunderstood by others. He's like, uh, what did he say? Um, Crumb crumbs all style is just a misunderstanding of will elder and elder is just a misunderstanding of Frank King. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think there's some truth to that Yeah. to some extent and I do think that in, in applying that to Golden, I just think there's a whole bunch of people and a whole type of artwork that is just misunderstood. They're not seeing some of that structure underneath it and there are idiosyncratic things as well not only in faces with Golden, right mm-hmm. but also with the anatomy. He's really pushing things out and they, they look a little funky and clunky to me sometimes Yep, um, and uh, I think it's, it's led to a proliferation of a kind of thing that I don't always like to see. Whereas almost always with Toth, it's like, all right, if, if they're not quite on top of it or they don't quite get this, or they're looking at surface elements, it's like, I still like looking at that. Yep. And that may be a breakdown. And in, in for me, how I view those two and compare those two. What say so, you? So
0: Okay. So I, and I, I really, I really, really, I, I, I totally get your observation. And I, I, agree with it. I think the my analogy since the timing sort of works out pretty well within a year or two in the 70s is the emergence of Michael's artwork is like the emergence of Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you had a generation influenced by the right thing that Eddie was doing and then the wrong thing that Eddie was doing. Mm-hmm. And not saying Eddie was doing the wrong thing, but they were thinking it's all about doing Hammer-ons and you know, in flashy, in flashy, fast playing versus the the shuffle, the the rhythm, the songwriting, the structure, and the actual musicality, like the actual virtuosity. And I think those are the things that we ended up with. You know, I guess the first sign of the whole thing would have been Arthur Adams appearing you know, in 1984, 85 with his sort of take on what Michael had done with, you know, let's say long shot being really the first sort of example of that. And then sort of evolving into, um, you know McFarlane and the 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 numbers go on and on, um, and they all took whatever they took. You know, M- Todd McFarlane is the guy who invented the curly-cue spiderwebs, except that he didn't. It wasn't him; it was Michael. Um, but that's just how time works um, and popularity. Um, but you get a Brandon Peterson who understands a lot more sense idea of clarity. Mm-hmm. And and what Michael was 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 doing with his work, um, and you know I you know who I really think has a very strong golden quality in the work that you don't look at blush, but when you look at his Batman drawings is Chris Somney's Batman drawings when he yeah. does these sort of cityscape these are sort of these single commission page kind of things right. he gets that sort of very black and white way golden does bat batman commissions and 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 covers which is which is very toth you know it is you know it's just toth with a lot more detail kind of mixed in there um Mm -hmm. yeah it's no it's interesting but i think like it's like people getting the taking the wrong lesson from the, the the source material um and i think that even happens with toth in the sense that we have like you know Uh, You know, Mazzucchelli, who sort of said, "Okay, this is what it is and does and did beautiful sort of evolution of, you know, of what Toth did on paper. And, uh, you know, Andrew Robinson, you know, does amazing artwork in this kind of interesting evolution of Toth hero look. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's unbelievable. But then there are other people and I won't name people, but their influence isn't Toth. It's Mazzucchelli or it's Robinson, you know, and we're getting that sort of generational um, copy factor. Like the copy of the copy isn't as interesting as the original. Um, right. You know, and, and I think we're, we're sort of in that period of people, you know, of course, JP, of course, another person who took Toast's learnings and applied it to their work.
1: Um, yeah. In, in all cases. And that's why I show You know, work from a long time ago in classes Mm -hmm. and try to draw the threads, yeah, of those different artists in this school from that school and who led to who and all that stuff, just to show it's not just been uh, created now, right? (laughs) It, It came from somewhere, and people are all influenced by a lot of stuff, but, um, but also to say trace it back and go to the source wherever possible
0: yeah well um, i think another thing is in, 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 I'll, I'll quote myself here um but the idea of virtuosity yeah like that i think is also the danger here um michael's virtuosity is eagerly on display mm-hmm. while Toth's virtuosity isn't eagerly on display in many ways like i don't think like hit like he he is servicing a story in as in his, as clear a way as possible. Now there are many examples of him showing off and they're wonderful. Um but like I don't know I don't think Michael's showing off, but the virtuosity is sort of kind of hard to not have happen on the page when he puts a pen in his hand. Um and I think that we all look at that and we go, okay, well, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to be, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And uh, unfortunately it's like asking, Hey, can I borrow your G pen expecting to draw like Jaime? And mm-hmm. you're not, you're mm-hmm. just going to end up drawing whatever your line is with a G pen.
1: Right. Your line's going to come out. Your, uh, the stroke, <laughs> who, who you are is going to mm-hmm. come out no matter what, what you're doing. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean, mean, it's, it's, I mean, like, listen, I love John Byrne comic books, love them. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't love them as much. Now my, my 12 year old loves them. The 12 year old Mm -hmm. inside of me loves my John Byrne comic books that I grew up on. But the thing is, is that like John Byrne's not as good you know, as Neil Adams and he is an evolution of Neil Adams. Um, when you say that the, 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 image guys got it from Neil Adams. I think they got it more from Byrne than they got it from Adams. Like I think, cause they, we were all, this generation was reared on, you know, John Byrne comics, you know,
1: like. Uh, I, I certainly was. Yeah. And I recall like when he was at his hottest, something like Gary Groff would write an article going, I don't get what the hubbub is about. Yeah. It just seems like, you know, watered down Kirby to him. And, right. But what 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 attracted me to Byrne was that he did Adams in a fashion, but it was also simplified. Mm-hmm. And then there was a cartoony quality to it that you don't find as much in Adams. It was a little less of that photorealism. Thing. Yeah. And I detected a um, in Byrne's work uh, that was certainly – uh, true in his earliest work at Charlton and then his first Marvel stuff was a, a little bit of a manga influence. And I don't know if he's ever cited that, but huh. when I was, when I grew up looking at speed, uh, watching speed race or star blazers yeah. and then his first stuff popped up to me, there was a link and that was part of the attraction. And no, I don't think anybody was doing it that way. No. I don't even know if he would cite it, but right. that's at least what I saw in it. And that's what made it different. I will say that for me, that there was a five-year period where he was golden. Mm-hmm. And then whatever was magic for me about it popped. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't know if that was me at a, at a certain age or if I really think that he, yeah. I don't think he burned out. But I think whatever made it special <laughs> for me burned out
0: does that sell b-y-r-n-e-d-i and unfortunately
1: i did not intend that
0: no i i think i mean it's it is interesting and i mean listen i couldn't get enough of burns comic books between you know 1978 and 84 you know like they were they were they were the greatest they were just they were everything you just said and um But it's, but it is an interesting thing. I mean, we all kind of like, and I think even as you said, but like with golden for you, like we all kind of move, we move forward, you know, and we move on, um, in the outliers are the things that really do stick with us, like in carry on because there's some sort of foundational element to it. And I think it, unfortunately it wasn't that with burn for me, even though I love the iron fist run that he did. Like to me, that's some of the coolest comic books ever. Um, you know but that's just me you know um dude i love the i love the uh the the charlton with space 1999 stuff he did like that was really cool like it was fun
1: yeah i sold my uh, several years ago i sold my uh large uh burn x-men piece he did in 1980 or 80 81. I think it was, he did six X-Men on a big 18 by 24 sheet for me. And I kept that for decades and he wow. and sold it. But the one I didn't get rid of, um, and we'll keep, there's two of them. I've got uh, a beast, um, hanging upside down with a, uh, uh, with a, a playboy foldout, <laughs> which Clever. was a, uh, that fold out of that year of that month was his, um, uh, reference for the Scarlet Witch he told me oh wow okay and then the other one is Spider-Man with Raj 2000 <laughs> that was my request was... <laughs> and uh, uh and and those I'll never part with um it uh... really is to me when he's at his peak
0: yeah so th- so we, we've kind of touched on a lot of things here that I that are really kind of interesting sub is an interesting subject to me is this sort of Comic book tree, and I talked to Billy Hines about this again. Billy Hines, if you don't know him, he's a really good, avid comic book collector and just a real, just a great lover of comics and a bon vivant in his own se- sense. Yeah, yeah and, I've
1: had some no contact with Billy. Yep.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about this sort of family tree of comic book influence, and I mean, I understand we have to we have to cut out people outside of comic books in this thing, but where do they all kind of? <clears throat> where did they come from and who influences oh. who these sort of legacy influences would, would be the Alex Toth line, the, um, the Jack Kirby line, but that line died off pretty quick um, in my, uh, in my observation. And then um, the Neil Adams line, like, these are the people who like think of the people that Neil's artwork influenced and how, how he changed it and how, but like, Hitting like the late 70s, man, the Jack Kirby vibe kind of fell out of vogue.
1: I see remnants of it, and there are people who are still Kirby-ish, but I don't mm-hmm. think it is as obvious. Um, I, even when I was getting some of my first comics instruction from uh, at the back of a comic shop from a guy who was going to art school and was into comics, he was like, who's like the biggest influence. And I named all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Kirby, (laughs) like, wait, what? Because to me, even though I grew up with Kirby, either stuff I saw was um, where he was churning out pages and the early Marvel stuff is fairly crude, even though it has a power Mm -hmm. Um, or late stage Kirby, which now I love, but then uh, like I gobbled up and I had, but was a little; it felt dated and off-putting a little bit, it, highly idiosyncratic. So it took me uh, another five or ten years to kind of come back to Kirby and, and appreciate him more.
0: Yeah, um, totally. Agree. But I
1: think there are traces of Kirby in, in a lot of superhero comics, but I don't know how many people cite it, um, or or that it's as um, uh, noticeable
0: yeah i you know i mean and i think and i I wonder if his influence is so baked in that's what i mean yeah to the point where nobody really knows it you know they're, they're what they're responding to in somebody's dynamism or foreshortening or whatever the thing is or stylization mm-hmm. um it, this is just something that is sort of this is what you do in comics um regardless of, of technique or style
1: yeah and a lot of people in comics um from our age or, or a little younger, we'll cite John Buscema mm-hmm. as a major influence. But when you hear Buscema talk, and some of that is because of, because of how to draw comics the Marvel way, he was prevalent in, in the sure. 70s. Um, but when you hear Buscema talk, he basically said, you know, Stan not only told him make this more like Kirby, but he studied Kirby, swiped Kirby, and, uh, and studied it to kind of make it his own. So even if Busema looks different from Kirby, right? It, he was riffing or told to actually style it oh, after Kirby.
0: And you can, you can see it in the figures, you know, those kind of really kind of crazy Kirby, like jumping figures, like yeah. Busema will do that um, just with a bit more, you know, you know, Bridgman in there than, uh, you know, than, than not. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, but it it is interesting because, I mean, you were saying that, you know, having Stan saying, hey, draw like that. There is that thing. I remember, you know, in the 70s looking at comics and I I own tons of Kirby comics, but I didn't really go like, I love Jack Kirby, so I'm buying this Jack Kirby comic. I I found the artwork to be odd as a kid. But looking back at it, I'm like, man, I chewed up those comic books. Like, I loved them. And it clearly was a response to what he was doing.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Even though I had a similar um, uh, reaction, I kept buying them. I Mm -hmm. kept buying Eternals. And I was a huge (laughs) Devil Dinosaur fan. Okay, cool. (laughs) And I even wrote a letter. I'd forgotten I wrote a letter. And a friend told me like, hey, I found a letter in Devil Dinosaur 6. Uh, Oh, no, Really? oh no is right it's a little embarrassing oh wow it feels like a nine-year-old wrote it but i think i was 14 and i'm like oh my gosh Uh um so people can track that down Um, i remember
0: buying the um that whole first run that he did at dc those first issues so he did like you know the the you know the the boy that was it the boy millionaires or the (laughs) there was a group of millionaire like teenage boys who flew around solving problems with right I don't know what they were doing. It was like the good version of the, uh, you know, whatever those uh, those hooligans that he had in Marvel. Um, right. And yeah, it, but it's interesting. But like, but uh, you know, thinking about like that sort of Adams line, uh, the Kirby line, and the Toth line, as far as sort of influ- you know, influencing streams, mm-hmm. they're all so different. Kirby is a stylist his artwork is really stylized. It's to the point of like deconstruction Mm -hmm. and Adams is very much a realist. And then you have Toth, who is a sort of a designer in, in their, in their approaches, which is really kind of a curious, like how strong those three different sort of visual approaches were and how they endured through their runs. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, one thing that's interesting to me with Adams, aside from the, uh, uh, the the realism you talk about, is he also liked to play formally with layout and, and timing. So he was inventive about that stuff, like a whole dead man face being the mm-hmm. layout for a page, panels within it, or the same background throughout the yep. whole thing. I don't know as, if he's as solid a storyteller as the other two, because I think that the the, the in your face kind of thing and the realism stuff takes over. Right. So so what we see later passed on golden and then to image and beyond Mm -hmm. is more of that poster comic thing. Right. Um, Whereas I think Toth and Kirby are very solid storytellers, but where, where Toth goes wrong in storytelling, especially in early, like I'd say the, the early fifties, he's experimenting with design so much and, and even stuff he did in the seventies and eighties, he does certain things where he, he crops so tightly that it's claustrophobic. And then it, the, the storytelling becomes secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're each one of them have their foibles and Kirby though, is far for as much as bombast is there. He's a great storyteller. Sure. like well, He's yeah. really nailing it, you know, with very solid, uh, standard, um, uh, storytelling, uh, yeah, you know, establishing it and then action and all that. And he doesn't play around no. formally with anything. No, he's a meat he, two he's, sides. He's in grids almost completely. He becomes yep. formulaic with the, the two-page spreads, especially the early 70s stuff. Um, whereas Toth then is highly experimental, meaning even though I can see a thread of, of Toth through everything he does, mm-hmm he is extremely restless and where both of those other guys and, and most people stick to a formula and a style and an approach Toth just didn't. He is yeah. like each story. Most, of, most of the time, every story, he's looking for something else to do differently. The lettering changes, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the page layouts change, the approach, uh, grease pencil tone. He's just like, Restless. Now, that caught up to him later on because that's really hard to keep up, and eventually he kind of couldn't keep going because he felt like he would disappoint people or disappoint himself. So getting a healthy balance for any creator, I think, is a really important thing to innovate without completely uh, setting the expectations so high that you end up screwing yourself by not producing and then getting into the trap where you become so formulaic in your style that things atrophy. I don't think Toth, toward the end of his career, his last twenty, thirty years of life, even if he was producing less finished mm-hmm. comics pieces, to me, he is still getting better as an artist.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think, I, I think his, I, I think his greatest strength is observation, his abil- his ability to recontextualize his observations into a storytelling format it might be the the single most powerful skill he 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 had he could take anything and he could show you anything the way he needed to show it in whatever context mm-hmm. um and i agree like i mean if you just look at all the sort of correspondence drawings you know right. he would have I, there's so much brilliance in in nearly every one of these pieces
1: Yeah, no doubt. Those are not the most popular things. Um, When I post them on Instagram, the a la and later drawings, the the stuff that gets the most uh, uh, reaction is other stuff, Um, either in terms of content or uh, black spotting, right? The high contrast is going to get the the, uh, attention. But I, I tried to convert even Toth diehards to look again at those six by nine sheets, yeah, but he's doing that stuff with a marker, direct off the top of his head. I think that's extremely difficult. Yes, the things that are in uh, the Dear John uh, Doodle Book. Yep, um, and and I've collected as many as I can digitally mm-hmm. and share them because I I think that there's a legacy. Just if I <laughs> I probably got to do a whole episode on this on Alex Depp, where I want to. I, <laughs> If if Toth like was like a, an Emily Dickinson, where we didn't That's... discover his work until after they passed, and all he left was twenty or thirty years of these little drawings he was doing in a sketch pad, mm-hmm. to me that would be enough of a legacy. Right, that would be a gigantic gift. You're like, look what this person did. Yeah. <laughs> that in, that you know, sitting in there uh, in watching their, television. Uh, at, that's right, at their kitchen table, smoking and, and, and hermiting, and, uh, and we didn't even know it. Now, one, without drawing their whole life and being as good as he was, I don't think he gets to that level to be able to do that. Right. Um, I just think it's, a, it's very difficult to do. And I, I think most people, when they're looking at even artists, will look at those and just kind of go, oh, there's not much to those. But you try it sometime.
0: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's this thing of, you know, you you have the luxury of ejecting the distractions, the, ma- the more you master a craft. So by the point of great mastery, you're able to create elegance in one stroke. I mean, we would, you know, in our teaching of design classes and, and typography, you know, it's the simplicity of some sort of shape is what you're really trying to, you know, hunt toward. Um, and that was always like a big thing. Like if you, if you can draw a circle freehand, you're on top of something, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's not Mm -hmm. an easy task. It's possibly the hardest task a human has to, you know, can do. Um, and you know, and I would assume that probably could probably draw a circle. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I, I want to, I want to hop back to the, the, the trap, um, the creative trap of, of of your your ability, because I think that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. And we, as interested parties of, of of creators, put a lot. We put a lot onto what they do. We look at what they do with this reverence and and amazement, and we go, "Man, like they must have been thinking this, that, or the other thing." And I, and I stop and I go, well, let, let's let pretend I'm that person and let's pretend somebody loves what I do to a degree that they just can't believe. Mm-hmm. I'm really not thinking about a whole lot of stuff. I'm solving the problems, you know, it, it mostly, you know, inter, into intuitively. Um, and then, you know, and then it's interesting because drawing is a very sort of kinetic approach Um, exercise you have to you you sort of kind of move and you got to keep moving and doing things so the idea time for reflection is pretty limited you don't really take a lot of time to do a comic book page or an illustration because there's usually sort of an external demand on it Um, writing is a little different because you flesh something out on paper and then you go back and you read it and you go that doesn't make sense. Or somebody says, I don't understand this. And you go, okay, well, hold on, let me figure this out. Mm-hmm. But like with visual storytelling, you kind of know if it works or doesn't pretty quick, you know, and, uh, Hey, that hand doesn't look like a hand. It looks more like a, like a duck, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you have to change it and turn it into a hand. So, um, so I think like, you know, an interesting kind of mental thing is like, we have to look at also these people, they're people, they're doing a task, you know, the task is, make the thing Um, you know while I think Toth I think his trap was his ability and constantly having to kind of like express that furtherness does that make sense like he was always trying to push something further
1: yeah yeah I think it caught up there's a few different reasons why he stopped producing as much some of that was personal and and uh, and because of losses Uh, He had some of that was just probably due to conditions that he had, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's bipolar or manic depressive or whatever he was dealing with. Um, Probably then even misdiagnosed or not diagnosed. Um, But then some of it was just this drive that he had. So a lot of it was um, what led to his greatness was that – that goal of that high excellence, but it's also what kind of jam things up at the end. Mm. And, and, you know, and, and he had people he revered, we've mentioned some of those like Sickles and Kenneth and so on. And to him, those guys are great and he doesn't touch them. Right. Right. So, you know, and I've had, and I've spoken about this in my show, but um, I had a, I've had a few projects where I, I kind of put such an expectation on myself to try to reach even a a little bit of what he uh, did and to the point where I felt like he was on my shoulder and it Mm -hmm. completely balled me up because there's no way I'm going to hit that. And the other thing is I'm not allowing myself to come through. So on my uh, current project, Blood Orange, which is at newdaynoir.com for those who want to check it out, the everything I did in regards to how I produce, what my process is, all of that is to kind of, subvert everything i learned previously in regards to comics production Mm -hmm. so if i'm if and some of this is born out of teaching as well right i'm trying to encourage students to do a certain thing so i'm like well i really need to do that in my work too some of that i was able to subvert in 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 regards to dealing uh uh, working digitally Mm -hmm. um but so in st- I've I've noticed a lot that people freeze up, and I think this was true earlier in my career, and it still can happen. But you're, when you're working on this pristine piece of, uh, you know, uh, oversized original art, people stiffen up. Yeah. And, and so I started training myself to loosen up in my sketchbooks and let my own stroke come out more and more. But then when you go to the page, that doesn't always come out. It's an age-old problem. Everybody, mm-hmm. most people have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I'm doing on this current project is uh, drawing smaller, two size in a a, a mule skin sketchbook Mm -hmm. and I'm using brush pens. So, uh, you know, before I would use the standard, uh, you know, brush, whether that's a dip or a a Pentel color brush uh, or Pentel pocket brush or whatever, um, that line thickness, that variation thing, the clean line, all that, I just threw all of that out. Right. And I, and I tested and tested, and I, instead of sitting at my drawing table, which I did for a long time and got used to, every, th- there was all this stuff, all these processes that felt like this is the legitimate, standard, accepted way of producing comics. And I was like, all right, I'm going to just draw two sides in a sketchbook. I'm going to sit at my dining room table. I'm going to use mm-hmm. this, this, and this, and I'm going to draw in a different way. Some of it, too, is borrowed from having done uh, commercial storyboards for decades. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I learned doing those, um, like you say, most comics are drawn in a deadline, and all those guys were working deadlines. All the ones we revere were under the deadline gun. Um, But that's really true storyboards. And I just, you know, you had to trust yourself and draw, and and you got to do it quick, and you're working with markers. But the more I did that, I was like, oh, I should draw a whole comic this way. And some people have done that. I don't know there's a little bit of that in Mark Hempel. I think that's true of like Kyle Baker's work, especially and why I hate Saturn. Some people have touched on that kind of thing, uh, but that's what I'm doing to try to loosen it up and make as much as what's fresh and, 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 uh, and intriguing about what I do or how I put the stroke down mm-hmm. to get across in the final, in the final piece.
0: How much was that? How much of that was like in preparation for that? Like, like what was your sort of, system for figuring out what you were going to give your, what limitations you were going to impose on yourself.
1: Uh, Some of that I think is um, just years of of testing different sketchbooks. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I was approaching uh, blood orange, then I would, I I bought a few different sketchbooks to see which ones would work. And and I, then I started thinking of two size because I don't know, increasingly instead of drawing bigger to let the, uh, to get the um, all the imperfections out. Yeah. Uh, I I recall a book that's on my shelf by uh, Sean Phillips called blow up. And he's, he's taking all of his preliminary drawings or or panels and then blows them up way tight, Hmm. (laughs) really big. And, um, and there's a, there's something really attractive to me about that. Plus I, I had a snowmobile accident like 13, 14 years ago. So I'm shakier than I used to be. I can still get the clean line, but it's not as clean as it used to be. It's a little wiggly, So I just decided at a certain point to start steering into that, the imperfections in the line. Right. um, And then working two sides allows me to do that. But I I just tested, you know, different pens on different papers until I landed on the one that was going to be solid enough or had the right surface and the right tooth. And again, um, at a certain point, I bought a Cintiq and I started doing all my drawings and coloring at first then all my drawings for storyboard work on the Cintiq. Yeah, and um, and so the process for Blood Orange is very—it's a really—it's a mixture because I'm doing a lot of stuff down and dirty, uh, um, traditionally, but then I do post production uh, digitally. So I'm doing the lettering by hand, but then I scan that in. And I do the line art by hand, and I scan that in. And I do all the coloring and post production digitally just as long as it feels still like it has an organic feel Mm -hmm. and out of my hand, then I'm fine. So
0: you're, so you're, you're compositing and lighting, you know, the, the, the work in, you know, in the digital environment while you're doing all the sort of the structural stuff. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. including the breakdowns, I do that all old school. I just print out, like a, you know, maybe four pages on a sheet smaller. And I do mm-hmm. those that way and then go right into pencils, into sketchbook from that.
0: And what kind of, th- what kind of sort of timing restrictions in are you imposing on yourself?
1: I, I don't have them. Okay. You know, we're talking about all kinds of deadlines, but I'm at the point of my life and career where I don't have those. I probably could use some, more. So I would produce a little more, but I'll take, sometimes I'll, I'll only get a page or two done a week while I'm working on a lot of other things Mm -hmm. and other times I'll finish a whole chapter in a week. So it depends on the chapter and it depends on what's happening. I probably should have a, um, a a per page, um, limit, but I don't know. I'm at a point where I just want to, I just want, I want to work on each piece of it and and then get to finished piece and then leave it alone when I think it's finished.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So no, it's, I, a, I've shown some of these pages to people too, and they're like, "It really looks like you tossed this off." And I'm like, "There's a lot of work right. that goes into making it look that way." It's what Howard Chaykin, uh calls the uh, what is it, the illusion of spontaneity. Right. Sure. I, I'm I'm going for that too, and and hopefully there's some actual legitimate spontaneity within that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's
1: the I mean, trick,
0: isn't? I mean, isn't that the huge Huge battle that you know i mean you you alluded to the you know going onto the paper and getting tight, but that battle between the the thumbnail or breakdown drawing to the final artwork mm-hmm. the, that that horrible battle of losing that dynamism and that power of whatever that loose sketch was mm-hmm. to what we see on that printed you know final piece, you know, it's this thing that so many artists struggle with because you look at the thing and go, why am I losing so much from this to this?
1: Yeah, I did that for decades. Yeah. Know, it would crop up and some of it gets better because I've worked for so long. But some of it, even like 10, 15 years ago, I would still be doing, uh, let's say for a commercial comics job, I would do like five or six stages, small mm-hmm. thumbnail, larger layout. Sure. Yeah. Pencils, and then go to ink, and then clean up, and then yeah, yeah. it's like, and it it's I, in doing this, in some of my more my, my more recent comics I'm trying to compress that and, and yeah. cut as many steps out as possible. There's no doubt that earlier in my career, I was very careful about everything, so I would do my sketches, and then I'm like, oh, I finally got that drawing right, and then I would light box it over so the drawing was right, but then it would lose some of the life, like you said. Mm-hmm. So well, some then- of that is, you know. Just you got to do more pages, you got to do more reps for that to kind of come out. Um, but I just want life in these things. Plus, the other thing is, I want this stuff for comics, especially. I want things to look, um, I don't want them to look labored over. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have a poster panel (laughs) and a pretty illustration. To me, comics art is not illustration, everything should be, um, is tailored. To tell the story. So even if it's taking me a while to make a page, mm-hmm. people are reading it in seconds or a minute or something like that. And I want to foster that. I want people to I want I everything I'm doing in breakdowns, uh, uh in pencils, in, in in putting down the line and putting down the color, the the balloon placement, I want all of that to encourage people to go with the flow and be done with the, the story. Mm-hmm. And all too often, I see people like laboring, uh, whether it's my students or pros, over comics to do a pretty drawing. And I don't care. I just don't care because meaning a perfect, realistic, everything's there, highly yeah. modeled. That to me, that doesn't always make good comics.
0: Well, it's you know, it's interesting. I mean, so like the the whole Blood Orange project to me has this very intentional. Um, tone to it like your sort of approach to everything is super intentional hence a lot of my questions about what sort of restrictions you've you've applied to yourself mm-hmm. in, in this and even to the point of like hey I this is all about reading this story at a pace that you're not being distracted the, the story isn't you know, the artwork doesn't distract from the story mm-hmm. like I guess that's and that's a really interesting thing I know I know that Jamie Jones, who does the baboon uh, series is very much in that same mindset. Um, he, you know, he's, he's a huge classic, uh, you know, strip, you know, artist fan, you know, loves his Will Eisner. And um, we, we, uh, we joke that he has a time machine and he's actually from the thirties and the forties, but, uh-huh. um, but he's, he's very much in that mindset where it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm all about like getting the story out. It's not about, dude, but like, You know, it's that trap that we were talking about, like you know, with with the the sort of the masters, you know, that we were discussing earlier. But it's this trap that we have in ourselves, where it's like, well, I gotta, I gotta get that cup right at the right angle, you know, on that table and the right lighting and blah blah blah, whatever the things are, which do take all that. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. Um, and the benefit, like, who's that benefiting? Is it benefiting our own ego? Is it benefiting the 5% 5% of the readers who are artists who are looking for the, like, Oh, wow. Look at all that work that, you know, Jimbo did in this page. You know what I mean? Like it, like, it's like, are we drawing comics for our friends? Are we drawing comic books for ourselves? Like, I mean, it's an interesting kind of battle. Like I think a lot of whatever I would put down was a lot focused on like what my peer group would look, would say.
1: Yeah. I had a student uh, in our final crit class the other day, uh, I was commenting, and, and there, there was a lot of detail on a couple pages. A lot's going on, the buildings and people and all kinds of stuff. And it kind of creates a world, but there was a lot going on. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was commenting on it, and they said, well, I'm just trying to impress you. And yeah. I think that's really what people are trying to do. I certainly yeah. felt that in my teens. I'm like, I'm going to draw this skeleton so it looks like a skeleton. People sure. Are like, Man, it's so impressive. Look at all those little Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I'm, and so what I've tried to do for myself or and, and encourage with students is to say what impresses me is uh, putting thought into how you're doing your comics and telling mm-hmm. your story and then how you're executing it. it. To me, that perfect cup, just so modeled that you were talking about, mm-hmm. I just want it to be believable.
0: Yeah, right.
1: I just want it to be believable enough incredible, so it reads as a cup. That I, I I believe someone can pick it up and drink from it, and and why are they doing that in the story? And then keep moving. Just read well, it and keep going.
0: Now, I, now listen. I'm gonna I, you know in full disclosure, like my mm-hmm. insides are screaming as we're having this conversation. I'm not joking, man. Like my like my insides are like you. No, 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 no. Um, this is why I this is why I don't do this for a living anymore. Um, but it, it, it's it is so interesting because that internal battle is there like i love i man i i've got the same intentions i have that Tothian intention you know where i'm like okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna make it real simple real clean real boom got it which is how my design work is like when right. i'm for my design work it is super super minimal super super european mm-hmm. you know swiss style etc and so forth but Man, I sit down to, to draw and I'm like, okay, cool. This is a great, I like the layout. I like my other, compositions good or the figure. Okay. Got a good sketch here. And then I just proceed to just like back the dump truck up and pour it onto the page because, because, um, and like, cause I have this, I have this piece I need to finish over the weekend and I have to ink it and color it. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to bring my iPad And I'm just going to do it in procreate. I'm not, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to go crazy. I've drawn it. I'll just do in procreate. I know I'm going to go stupid on it. Like I'm hoping the limitation, my limitation of not knowing that program is going to hold me back from doing things, but.
1: Yeah. and part of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, so limitations on how I'm handling this current project are drawing two sides, right? Uh, Number one, Mm -hmm. Uh, I can just flip the page and start the next, next page. So that keeps things simple in terms of uh, brushes. I just use like a a, a a Tombow brush pen that's more pen than brush, mm-hmm. and then a Pentel pocket brush. That's it. Yeah, I use the same old pencil. You know, a, a, a grabby pencil, clutch pencil. Grabby?
0: <laughs> grabby. No, no, no. I want to officially change the name to grabby pencil. It's good. <laughs> I
1: love it. And then. Um, and then when I'm working in Photoshop, I just use two brushes. Okay. I just use a, a whatever it's called, like a China marker brush, and then some kind of wide water, broad watercolor brush. That's it. So even if I'm using certain tools, I'm trying to keep it so stripped down that I don't get carried away with a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And and, there, and you know, and then when you're working digitally too, when I first got the big screen. And I was super impressed that I can zoom all the way in. And I would go sure. in with my very first scans and I'd yeah. clean up all the line art. And yeah. then I zoom back and realize I'd taken all the life out of it.
0: Yeah, there's nothing left.
1: So I learned something pretty quickly to like leave that stuff in there and know what to clean up and what not to. And I've got a good sense now of like some of my drawings in my sketchbook are bad drawings. And I don't over pencil. I just go in and do it fast. Mm-hmm. And if I screw up a face or a leg, or I don't get things right in terms of continuity, or the hand's not on the money, I don't care. Yeah, I'll just draw another one and patch it in, or I'll do that with the China marker brush in Photoshop, and I don't think anybody can tell. Yeah, <laughs> but <it's>, so <laughs> some of that is choosing the right thing, some of it's getting a feel for it as I as I do it. But all that stuff is designed for me to let go a little bit, mm-hmm. so I don't get carried away, and I'm steering myself the right way well it's you know
0: there's so there's so many things because i'm also trying to like tie in like the thought about education on this you know my experience of going to you know in our college studying comic books with you know comic book masters and um, you're teaching comic books and i i think that like it's an interesting like what are the things that like are super, like what are skill things you can teach, you know, like, and I think, you know, listen, you can show someone, here's the anatomy, you know, to to study, et cetera, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But I think a big thing is like, it's like with teaching design, thinking is what you need to teach people. Like you need to teach people how to solve problems. And like, so comic books is a visual, you know, medium, and you have to solve these problems visually. So I get like thinking like, you know, can can you have people draw comic book pages, but like we are just using line. We're not going to be doing any rendering. We're not going to do anything. We're going to keep it super simple, super yep. clean, so you can just tell the story. Because it makes me think of, I I I penciled a book for Keith Giffen, and Keith writes on, eight you know letter uh you know copy paper, mm-hmm. and he just does a six panel grid, and he draws with a you know marker what's happening in the comic book and then you get to do what you want with this basic information and but that information is super clear like i that was a comic book for me i could read it sit down go okay that was a great comic now i gotta make it look different um right and and, but like that skill set that he employs in his writing is a great Thing like for a young artist to go like, oh, okay, I don't have to get all, I don't have to try to impress the teacher with all this detail and line work. Mm-hmm. I, I just got to do the job, which is tell the story clearly. Um,
1: yeah, and and I'll do that with students too. Either in observational drawing exercises mm-hmm. or, um, uh, oh, one one uh, assignment this past semester was to do to work two size or use one tool with a deadline. Mm-hmm. So there's really no tone hatching or right. black spotting or color. And, and some people that's in their wheelhouse and others, it's like completely it's foreign and like, what are you doing to me? So, right. I, you know, I, I tell students, especially in this particular class, comics materials and techniques that they're going to be weeks they hate, or they've never been and never want to return, but there's going to mm-hmm. be other weeks where they're going to fall in love with it, or it's going to be right with what they've done before. Um, and so, you know, there were limitations previously because of reproduction limitations um, on how comics looked and how they were produced. Yeah. Inking is a thing because of reproduction prep. And now you can do comics any old way. So For sure. And, and so one of the assignments, too, is just to draw comic, a, a full comics page with a pencil. Yeah. Everything in pencil. Not wow. pencils to be inked. <laughs> a finished pencil comic, whether right. that's completely shaded or a lot pencil look, all the letterings yeah. in pencils, because you know, you can't.
0: Yeah. You can totally do that. If you can find the apps, the issues, um, you know, as an example of what you, how far you can take that to size approach. Uh, I know, I remember Steve Lytle was doing a lot of his work in the last 20 years um, or more to size. Mm-hmm. So he was doing them on like half, you know, half sheets of, uh, you know of bristol and i mean he was inking those pages and mm-hmm. if you remember his artwork it was not a detail list uh right work. yeah
1: yeah he probably forced himself to do that either to simplify a bit or i don't know sometimes it's a budgetary concern if somebody True. wants to draw two or three hundred page uh oh i don't know i just read one oh i don't know who it was maybe it was tilly walden Tilly Walden did a Walking uh, Walking Dead spinoff graphic okay. novel. I just read. Sorry, I can't remember the title. Clementine, I think. Um, and Tilly says that they drew the whole thing like on, you know, copy paper. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's being done. Yeah. Uh, and it's being done across the board. Um, I guess um, you said comics is a visual medium, and that makes me scream. Because, <laughs> because the thing I've been thinking about for the last few decades is that comics is a reading medium. Right. And when I pu- when I push this out online anywhere, social media, um, I get a lot of people um, reading into what I mean or misunderstanding it or just completely disagreeing. So I think sure. it's an interesting is interesting uh, debate. But my thought is c- people when reading comics, people are reading the pictures as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting to think about like. And this can be true of, of producing it as well. If you're thinking about pictures and words being a separate thing, I think you're missing something while you're producing them. And and if you're focusing just on the art as a drawing or as an illustration, uh, anybody you can get lost in that and trying to make it good. But if you think it's just another tool, it's another part of piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. like lettering within a balloon, and it's all integrated and works as a piece. And it the sole function is to get something across and convey it. So there's, so people can read it. Yeah. Well, then, then I know it's visual. I get it. <laughs> and, I, and But to me, I, I'm trying as best when I, when I'm reading comics and when I'm producing them and teaching them to think of comics as a reading medium, as that hybrid of uh, of word and picture. No, and that keeps me, that keeps it more grounded to me. No, I, I, I mean, I
0: like, I like that, I, I like that definition. Um, I, I mean, I was purely talking on the act of drawing a comic book, but, yeah, um, sure. but I think that's, I think that's a real strong thing. And like what I thought about, I, I, I always tie everything back to music, you know. But like, I mean, Led Zeppelin, you know, might arguably be the greatest rock band, you know, heavy rock band ever. But like, even their best song wouldn't sound that great if you took one of those four people out of the mix, you know? Yeah, if, yeah. It and would be then, an, an impressive trio, but something would be missing. Um, yeah, what
1: did uh, George Martin say about the Beatles? That you know, you get one in a room, pretty magical, pretty good. Two, you know, it raises the level. Three of the four Beatles, pretty something special. Mm-hmm. The four, it's this crazy music monster, and yeah. then the Beatles' magic happens, and it's got you have to have all those pieces. And if it's a super band. With the greatest players mm-hmm. players in the world, it isn't the best band. Right. Most of the super bands I see are crappy bands because they're all showing off. No, and, it, and, and you need to have that that yeah. glue that that uh, dynamic, uh, the chemistry.
0: Well, it's not it's not strictly virtuosity. That's the you know. Yep, and yep. and I was having that talk recently with someone about the idea of virtuosity versus um, sort of musicality and. and that's and i think you and i were talking about that earlier you know yeah, and the idea that
1: and stuff.
0: right like i mean the, conflating the issue of virtuosity versus you know musicality and you know and i think we we all want to be we all want to be you know uh, it, this amazing talent i mean it, it, rarely do people step into the arts with a like well i guess i'll just do this you Know, like, I mean, there's usually like, I really, really want to try to make something that's going to blow people's minds, like, whatever the thing is. I mean, that's usually an intention. Um, and uh, and I think we need that. I mean, I think what is the SVA motto was, you know, something like, yeah, I don't know, something like, it was something about daring to dream, you know, and just dream, you know, like, don't just dream, but dream big, you know, because mm-hmm. that's the only way you make changes oh quick little thing uh, going back to teaching yeah uh david peterson of mouse guard fame and i were talking and we were talking about the idea that it would be great to incorporate making a zine into a comic class the idea of putting together your own book in a zine format and just here's your assignment make you know make a an eight page zine so you do a cover and interior and boom, there's a book and you produced it yourself. Uh,
1: yeah. And that's something that's being encouraged at NCAD more and more. Um, uh, other schools, I think, well, I don't know. What is SCAD like? What, what What's the, what is the, the, the thrust of, of that comics program. Now,
0: you know, I don't know. I, I've, I've had plenty of people on, on who have gone to SCAD. I, uh, I went to SVA. So like that program was strictly, it was highly focused on the majors. Right. You know, when I was there, um, I think it might be far more uh, balanced now than it used to be. I felt really bad. Yeah, for
1: I'm not it. sure what the, sorry, uh, there was a buffering issue. Mm. Uh, didn't mean to interrupt um yeah i'm not sure what the um the makeup or thrust is there or the focus if you take a, a school like um Scott. Uh, the joe Kubert school i think it's most people are going there and what's taught is uh superhero genre or image-based stuff and mm-hmm. mcad it has some of that but is mostly kind of an indie comics auteur kind of thing and um and I and, and there was a teacher there uh, for a few years, Kevin Huzienga, who's done work for Fantagraphics and Drawn in Quarterly, and his whole thing was draw draw comics, make a book, draw comics, make a book, right? Just on and on and on. So we're stressing that more and more, and sometimes it is actually uh, the assignment is make a mini comic, make a zine, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, Because comics are such a, the entry level for comics is pretty low. Mm -hmm. You just need a pencil and paper or a marker and paper. And now you can scan stuff and mass producing. It is pretty easy too. And you can be publishing digitally as well. So there's there's really easy ways to get your own artwork out there and publish. And if you get into the production part uh, of making your own zines, uh, making your own books, I think that also gets an idea across to people to the idea of, of building a body of work. Mm-hmm. And if you're collecting it, even if it's a one pager and a three pager, and you put them in a zine, that's a book. It's a little more substantial. Yep. And then you keep moving on, and it builds one thing after another. So I think it's a great idea, and more 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 cartoonists should be doing that across yeah. the board. Yeah.
0: No, I, I I I firmly believe it, and. You know, the thing that I have felt was entirely lacking in my in my education was a sense of um, small business ownership and the oh, idea that you, you know, regardless of whether you're going to go draw comic books for DC or Marvel or whomever, you're still a small business because you're not an employee of those companies. And I think understanding like, you need to know how to do the whole thing. So when you're out there, you can do the whole thing. And nowadays, man, th- there is there is no reason to not do the whole thing.
1: Yeah, you have more control over it. So when I started um, uh, into comics, there, there were a few different ways to break in. But since I was about 15, I started paying attention to self-publishers. And in my case, that would be Dave Sin with Cerebus and Wendy and Richard Peeney with ElfQuest, uh, maybe Jack Cotts with uh, was it the Last Kingdom? So there's a few I paid attention to and looked at, and so I was already training, get my head around it. That when mm-hmm. I was ready to to take the leap, I knew it, and I and I did everything I could to prepare myself for that. But I was not when I started publishing at 21 a, a businessman, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> and so I kind of we had to learn, uh, Scott Peterstad and I on the fly to mm-hmm. figure some of that. So I had some tools, but then we learned on the job. And um, and everything that I've learned from that, and then in the years since, especially when you take into account that there's probably 10 or 12 mini comics industries within a larger industry, and there are many points of entry now, mm-hmm. um, uh, we, we get that across at MCAD, too. I'm, I'm kind of astounded when I hear that other programs uh, and art colleges don't have the kind of class you're talking about. Yeah. And for every um, major at MCAD, there is a professional practice class. And I've taught the uh, comics professional practice class a few times. There's also a publishing class taught there by Tom Kaczynski, who uh, runs Uncivilized Books. And so we're kind of like giving them a lot of that so they can pick their spots, get the tools and then pick their spots about how they want to make it work for them. Because you can kind of jump in any different way, especially when we don't know what is going on with comics publishing and direct sales and everything sure. else now there yeah. things are tenuous as we speak.
0: Well, <laughs> comics are still dying, right? They're still dying. right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Neil, Ra- Neil Adams was wrong <laughs> when yeah. he said that in 1970 or 75, that it was going to be gone in five years uh, and the direct sales distribution system saved it, but it also uh, squeezed it into this incestuous little myopic trap. Mm-hmm. And, and now for decades, we've been trying to break out of that. So, and, and the other last point too, on, on this topic was, you said, you know, we were talking about the, um, you were, you were bringing up these, uh, schools and styles. Mm-hmm. And you cited Adams and, and Toth and Kirby. Well, that's still kind of set up in what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you, and it's prevalent in, in certain genres in comics. But again, the kind of people who are coming into MCAD don't barely know that stuff. Sure. And they're not brought up on that. And now I'm thinking, okay, what are the new styles? I mean, I literally, I have people who are coming in the last 10, 12 years to MCAD. And for them, it's, it's their favorite webcomic artist. It's Raina Telgmeyer. Maybe there, there was, a, for a while, a, a Craig Thompson school. Mm-hmm. I see less anime and manga big eyes and more of a Miyazaki Influence, yeah, a music. lot of comics artists now, yeah. So there are new schools forming, yeah. People, uh, people are now coming up or have come up or been drawing comics for 10 or 15 years and either don't know the people we were talking about or don't care or heard about them, and they like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Sure. That's a previous generation. So now I got to unpack, like, what are the new schools? <laughs>
0: well no you know it's you know it's interesting you know me me being me going back to 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 music concept is like you know i, I cited eddie van halen but eddie van halen's influence was you know eric clapton and right. when when i first heard van halen i'm like i don't care about eric clapton i only care about van halen and i think that's sort of like so
1: and for clapton yeah. it was robert johnson
0: right right totally and like for like so but like in the in that respect like i mean listen Look how big an influence Mignola has been. Like Mike's mm-hmm. style, while not wholly, you know, an invention, is so influential down down the river. You know, since what is it, ninety five, ninety six? Since we first saw, or was it ninety four when we saw Hellboy? Like that down river from that point has been huge. Um, no and, doubt. You know, and listen. Let's put Bruce Tim in that category. You know, Bruce Timm's yep. artwork on a cartoon that w- translated into car- comic books mm-hmm. has been massive.
1: You're massive. quite right. And both of those names come up. When I do show those artists in class, mm-hmm. at least a third of the students know those. Yeah. Right? And, and again, that's removed from the source because you have, there's Kirby and Toth in Tim. Oh, and for there, sure. And then there's like what, uh, Zetta and and Toth and Kirby and Mignola. Even if yeah. Mignola doesn't cite Toth as as a strong influence, that's what he's said publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I, I, it seems so to me. But uh, <laughs> you got to take his word for it. But but it, at the very probably, if people are into black spotting now, they're going to go. Uh, what toth? Who Alex? Who they don't? Sure? They, they wouldn't see it. They almost all of them would cite Mignola first.
0: Yeah, and they're going to Chris. They're going to put to Chris Samney, and they're going to Chris point to you know Mike Mignola and go, well, "These guys." Indeed, and, and rightfully so. They're looking at some great art. Um,
1: <laughs> they are. They are. And sometimes when I've um, uh, scoured the history of who toth would rec- uh, cite. Those artists don't do as much for me as his as what he does. They're they're all great, right? See where he got stuff from him, and some of them I love very much. But others I'm like, oh, I like that. Now I'm going to go back to Alex. Thank you,
0: right, (laughs) right. And I mean that's I mean that's the thing, and you know I'm I'm a I'm a real I mean I. It's that twelve-year-old man. Like whatever that made that twelve-year-old super happy is mm-hmm. always going to make you happy. Like you're always going to be all right. Cool. I'm. I still think Star Wars is pretty fun. Yeah. Um,
1: well, me too. And I got a couple shirts. And you know, I'm not far removed from the uh, the freshman in high school who wore a different Star Wars shirt to class every day. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm pleased for a more adult, mature story in in new star wars like andor oh
0: my god andor was a it's the star wars i've been waiting for for a long time
1: yeah i'm uh i'm pleased with it and and i find that i'm kind of leaving that stuff behind i i've watched that, the the earlier stuff the things that did get me excited is when i was 12 i still have a passion and i mm-hmm. get a tingle from that stuff but you know I'm not that age. I've long yeah. passed it. I have many different interests <laughs> beyond way beyond that. And, and for me in my work, I don't necessarily, I want to capture the intro, the, the, uh, the passion and the joy of that stuff while trying to get across like how I see the world now, when, yeah. when Tim Avers and I are constructing blood orange. We are like, what's going on now? Mm-hmm. Who, who has to hustle which way? how is technology affecting us and how we are affecting it and what would actually speak to somebody who might pick up a comic today, rather than what got me excited when I was 12. Yeah. Even though I'll never give up the love for that, you know?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I I guess it's, I mean, like, once again, it's like, you can't remove the foundation. Like everything falls apart if you take the foundation away, but um Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I think that's, I mean, like, listen, when it comes to writing, writing is a matter of telling, not not telling a story for somebody else, you know, like you're telling the story that you need to tell. Um, because the passion that you have for that subject, those characters, whatever the thing is, that is contagious. Like you are, you're, you're hoping to infect other people with this excitement um, in whatever the subject is.
1: Yeah, if you don't have the excitement for it, then it's not going to translate.
0: No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the demographic, you know, pie chart looks like. You know, no, no, no. We've covered everybody in this. Like, <laughs> they're going to love it. You know, like, are they going to love it? Like, because it doesn't sound like you love it. You know, um...
1: <laughs> no, you shouldn't be going out for a uh, what you think will sell.
0: Oh, you—you you clearly have not been in a lot of marketing meetings. Um... <laughs>
1: Well, we'll see what kind of audience Blood Orange may find. I, I don't know. We have. I have no idea what it is. But you know, I've gone from uh, when I started my career thinking that everybody should read Troll Lords, and why wouldn't they? Of course, they should love Troll Lords. To Neil Gaiman's idea that it's the creator's responsibility or or mission to find the one reader in every 100 people uh, readers right. who, are, who would be interested in yours. And that's a, that's a healthier and, and more pragmatic way to look at it. Um, yes. So we should that, all be that way. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, hopefully I've learned something <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a little more re- uh, reasonable and, uh, and realistic about that, but that's the mission one at a time, just kind of building, uh, finding the readers who will connect with the, the, the material that I'm doing now.
0: What's the, so what's the, what's the, objective with blood orange
1: um we're, we put it out on newdaynoir.com mm-hmm. just to while we're working on it because it's a long piece uh so people can find it and and read it for free now online right. um but if, and that's released chapter by chapter but then the goal is is a finished graphic novel that we will print when it's finished Um, probably be 200 to 250 pages, and we're nearly 100 pages now.
0: Nice. Wow. Okay, good. So we're just under the halfway point, I guess, is where we are. Okay. And when do do I get to read the next chapter?
1: Uh, I'm finishing it right now, so I would guess that right after the holidays, I've been slowed down because of health stuff mainly the last few months, so that's the way things go sometimes. Mm-hmm. um but we I'm gearing up and I've got a good bit of the next two chapters done so hopefully in the new year um I'll feel better and then more chapters will be released more quickly as we intend
0: well the link will be in the description and uh, so people will be able to just click on it and uh, go read which yeah, nice. great I
1: hope people like it
0: yeah no I, enjoy, I enjoyed it I'm I'm I I like I like multi-thread stories. I like mysteries. I like curiosity. So I'm 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 trying to weave it together as I'm reading it. Going, where is this going? What is the you know what is the what is the con- conclusion that I can draw? So,
1: yeah, I think we've got some more surprises around the corner. Uh, Tim has done a lot of work, uh, character and, and world building, and we've talked it out a lot over the time we've been working on it. I don't think, I don't know if people will guess where we're going because some of the stuff, even where we end is um, not necessarily traditional.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. I'm looking. looking That's where the
1: new in in, in the new day in new day noir comes. We're trying to flip a whole genre. We'll see if people think we're successful or not.
0: (laughs) Well, that's cool. Um, Yeah, no. And I I mean, it's, I, I think that whole, you know, web comic, giving it for free is a really big, Big thing. Um, there's so many opportunities. There's so many avenues now between Patreon and Substack and your own standalone, you know, website. All these things. It's a. Uh, there's a lot out there.
1: I, I at least at this stage, I want people to be able to access it while we're working on it, rather than working on something for three or four years that nobody sees. Yeah. And I also don't want there to be friction. But you know, there's just a lot of there is friction because there's just so much to look at. Um, But Mm -hmm. I also think it's important even while we're promoting stuff online and in social media to uh, drive people to a site we own and control. Yep. Um, And then we'll see where it goes as we're finishing it. And when we get to the end, I don't know what the publishing thing will be. um, What the situation will be when we, when we complete it. Um, Mm -hmm. But we'll be open to anything and no, regardless, we'll make sure it gets out one way or other.
0: Yeah. No, that I, it's, I mean, Hey man, you're running your own small business. You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have your plan, and you gotta, gotta adapt and you know conquer.
1: Even if I did not plan that when I started, meaning doing Trollords and self publishing was a means to an end, and we just mm-hmm. wanted to do comics on our, and and. But then I got the bug of having control over it, and even though I worked for DC and other co- uh, companies after that that kind of independent streak hasn't um left me and, yeah. uh, and but the landscape's changed so now we'll see um how how that what kind of reception uh, it gets but we'll keep plugging away because we love comics and we love the story
0: yeah uh, well it's it's very cool i mean listen I, we should all be doing our own thing regardless of whatever <laughs> whatever we do regularly yep it's important um and the podcast um what is what does 23 look like for you with the podcast
1: yeah that's another thing with Alex Toth in depth I'll be gearing up uh new episodes again things have slowed down on that so um uh, I've mentioned uh having a team of assistants to work with me (laughs) to edit uh that that stuff um and I'm setting that up I've got a few people that I've contacted uh, to have on and a few others in mind. So I, it's a lot of work. So I'm not yeah. sure in 2023, I'm going to produce um, as many episodes as I have in the past, but I'd like to keep it going on a semi-regular basis because I still have, I got to scratch that itch. Yeah. Um, and, and even when I'm, when new episodes aren't coming out, I am posting daily uh, some kind of Toth gem every day at uh, Alex Toth. Uh, what is it? Alex Toth in depth. depth yeah. At, at Instagram.
0: Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, at, yeah. At Alex Toth in depth. Yeah. I, Thank um, you. I, I like it. I like every one of them, I think. So, um, but it's then again, I, wrong. I'm a sucker for, for <laughs> his stuff. So, I mean, you could probably, pr- you could post the same picture two days in a row and I would still like it.
1: Every once uh, in a while I bring out, uh, you know, a classic that I posted when I started it a, a couple years ago. Yeah. um because there's well we're i'm uh, nearing twenty thousand followers on that uh, account, wow, so you know i'm just evangelizing for toth in as any way i can and um and we'll continue to do so and if people want to find me online i'm instagram's probably the best place mm-hmm. i've got a couple of accounts, one is opol uh it's o p a u l o that's right I, uh, somebody used to call me Opal, and then I just decided to simplify the name. And I signed, I, when I signed my art now, too, I had a dream after adopting the Opala moniker where it simplified it to Oppo. <laughs> so that's how I'm signing all my sketches now. It's really simple and easy. It's a, a little bit of self actualization, I guess, but I'm posting uh, sketches at that account all the time. And but I also have an extension of the teaching I'm doing at Mcad, and right. people can also find me at Prof Paul Comics C O M I X, uh, where I'm posting cogitation about comics and and some of my favorite art uh, artists and, and uh, cartoonists as well as student work.
0: Well, I'll I'll put every link I can find of yours uh, in the description so people can find the very permutation the various permutations <laughs> of, of Paul Fricky. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's 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 interesting. I I, I had two, three Instagram accounts at one point. And I'm like, I can't do this. I need to. I'm down to one. I can't. I can't keep up. So that
1: sounds smart. Um, each one of mine is focused, and then some get posted more than than others.
0: I was uh, I was really trying to like have all these different channels, and I realized I, I can't maintain multiple channels in my life i have to just to handle one one ridiculous mess of a channel and that's the way i look at it
1: it's uh it's probably smarter and there's a less is (laughs) more kind of thing so i'm
0: I'm all about that
1: (laughs) makes sense to me
0: yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah well hey paul this is this has been an absolute blast i really appreciate uh the the time you've taken to have this uh gregorian knot of a conversation
1: (laughs) yep I, and, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed the chat a lot and everyone sh- don't forget to go out and pick up your grabby pencils.
0: Yeah. Get a grabby pencil, um, make a zine and, um, and I guess definitely read more Alex Toth, right?
1: I, I'd always recommend that, but yeah. hopefully people don't get tired of me saying it.
0: No, yeah, they, they probably won't. Um, they, I tune in. So I guess, you know, not, I'm an inveterate listener. So, um, Fantastic. Yeah, man. Um, Have a great holiday. um, And, uh, you know, to you and yours. All right.
1: To the same, same to you. Uh, Take it easy. Appreciate it. All
0: right. See you, Paul.